But if, if you're I doing said something off of decade of sports moments and everything it encapsules. Wow, that's tough. Oh, okay, at first let's set the parameters. Are, are we talking about uh, we we lose everything? We lose every single thing? Like, or is it just we lose? Like, are we picking just from the NFL? Or are we just picking from the NBA? Or are we just picking well, from? I was, I was gonna say like let's just do all sports, but then that also like just gets way too convoluted. I think I would rather do all sports because if you take a look at if you take a look at uh, just the histories of things, like like for example, let's say we did the NBA, right? I feel like everyone would remove the 70s because right. the 70s is equally like the most like boring era, right? Right. Uh, for the NFL, I would make a case that almost everyone would say the 90s, right? Everyone would Agreed. say the 90s because of that, that like the Super Bowls were blowouts, they were terrible. It was like, you know what I'm saying? And then right. for baseball, we don't need to do because no one cares about. Um, right. <laughs> right. But in all seriousness, I, I would say probably someone like when it came to baseball, I would say. But it's but it's funny that you mentioned that um, because <laughs> it's not about baseball, but about doing the sports separately, right? Because if we're doing the sports together, it's like okay, do you do you lose the '90s NFL, but you have to lose fucking Michael Jordan, and exactly. then it's like. Okay, well, do you keep the eight? Do you lose the 80? You know what I'm saying? Like, so to, to answer what, your question without ahead, me taking a look at it, and I know it's hard, but um, the decade where I'm saying, okay, in terms of NFL and in terms of no, I can't, I was gonna say 2000s, but I can't. It's like, it's like the NBA wasn't that good, but the NFL was like peak of its powers. Like, you have like so many Super Bowls that are just like i know that obviously personal pain for you as a patriots fan but like the giants defeating the patriots in the super bowl is like right. one of the most seminal moments ever and then right. obviously you have the I mean, but we can't forget that. we also have the we also have the first three out of the four super bowls of the 2000s too so that's not even like a, a jab yeah. you know what i mean because no, for sure so i mean do you have i mean the 2000s is interesting because you have the patriots dynasty you have manning you have the Giants upset, and then we have the greatest Super Bowl ever, probably Super Bowl Forty Three, which is right. like, I mean, I would say that the only one, the only one that comes close is probably Forty Nine, the the Patriots and the Seahawks. That that would be yeah. my guess. Um, so I want to rule out the two thousands, despite the fact that uh, this, I mean, like I want to keep that. Um, right. Okay, and something that we have to acknowledge here is is that the 2010s is also a decade now that we're in 2021. Well, that's exactly what I was just about to say, is that honestly, I would... Uh, I want to say ditch the 2010s. Really? The one, like, really, like, hella ruined that 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 stretch of basketball yes. so it's basically but i mean you have, the you have lebron's eight straight final appearances the warriors dynasty you have like peak kevin durant you have mvp russell westbrook like you have like the change of the league from 2010 to 2020 in the nba is something that like i just feel like it's so hard for me to throw away and i don't know if it's because i just feel like a recency bias towards it but when you look at from the the way that the league changed from 2000 to 2010 versus 2010 to 2020, there was like a complete evolution of the three ball and the four point play. And, you know, just like 
the game became huge to me in that there was multiple different stars and you had different MVPs. You had the first unanimous MVP. Um, so I don't know if I can just ditch it that easily, but I also, mean, and I then there's like, the I, I feel like the 80s for us is also not going anywhere. Is that fair? Okay. That's funny you bring that up because, yeah, that was the one where, where both of us, I'm like, okay, this is like, this isn't on the list. Like, because right. the, neither of us are getting rid of this. I mean, if you, if right. you look at the 80s, just, I mean, it, it, it is probably the greatest sports decade. I mean, for like, sure. even where it's something that you take a look at it, like, even in MLB, you have moments like, you know, the, the Red Sox, like blowing it against the Mets. It's like this, like historic sort of catastrophe. You had the you Tigers, the, you had the Roar of 84. Yeah, Roar yeah. of 84. You had the Kirk Gibson home run. I mean, it's like just uh, uh, Reggie Jackson, three right. home runs. I mean, it's like some of the most seminal moments ever in baseball were in, were in the 80s. Obviously, you have the NBA, which is like that. It's the golden age right. of the sport. I mean, there isn't like any debate of that. You you got Lakers, you got Celtics, you got Michael, you got the bad boy Pistons, and then you got you know you got a little little bit of like Elijah Wan splashed right. in there, a little bit of Patrick Ewing splashed in there. Like, I mean, it's just such a incredible time. And it's like, despite the fact that there was, you know, a I guess you would say I, the, the two separate dynasties going at each other. I mean, it still was just an incredibly just diverse period in terms of characters and everything like that. Right. And then obviously the NFL is, I mean, it's just, you know, you have some of the greatest Super Bowl moments ever, but right. you know, you've got the Niners, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, 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 there's so many things where it's like, I just feel like, I think both of us are most like emotionally attached to that decade. Yeah. So, and then obviously I, I just don't think you can get rid of the nineties with Michael Jordan, which is like, okay. I just said that, but now I'm actually thinking about it. I know that like the idea of like throwing away Michael Jordan and everything is like kind of like anathema and like kind of like a crazy thing. But like at the same time, and I know I can't believe I'm making this case, but I do think it's actually like worth making. Um, it, basketball was a foregone conclusion in the '90s because Michael Jordan was there. Right. And it, well, that's, it was say, funny because I was just about to poke hole in what you said because you had just brought up the Warriors. I'm like, okay, so we're comfortable with the Warriors dominating a decade, but we're not comfortable with Michael dominating a decade. I think that's just because Jordan is like almost like a mythical sort of figure that the idea of tossing him aside is like, right. I don't know, like it, it's just kind of crazy to me. Um, but at the same time, it, we there was an era to be where that you say, okay, who was the second best player compared to Michael Jordan? And right. it, it, it like Shaq didn't really come into his own until after he left the Magic, right? right? I mean, you have guys like Charles Barkley, which is like right, that's how I was Charles say. Barkley is your number two. That's probably like a bad, like a bad indication of like how good the decade was. I mean, honestly, probably the second best player, and it's unfortunate because they didn't, you know, he, he just wasn't there to be able to challenge it, was Akeem Olajuwon. But yeah. they never played Akeem Olajuwon, what which about is Malone? like oh don't even you can't even you, you can't make that case with a straight face that you would take Carl no but I'm, i meant both of them i'm just meant both of them like the malone stockton teams you know i'm yeah, looking at them as like a duo but that's my thing is is that like okay that's that's my whole point is is like okay if carl malone is your number two that's like like for example let, let, let's let's do that with the 2000s okay at any given point we'll say 
you know, obviously they were on the same team, but Shaq and Kobe uh, probably won two, right? And for the 2000s, right. like it's just a different, you know, it depends on, on, on your taste, depends on like what you like in basketball, right. so on and so forth. You can make a case for either. I'd make the case for Shaq, but that's just my own personal taste, right? But at any given point where you look at like who was the number two, number three, number four player in the decade, okay, you had Steve Nash, you had Tim Duncan, you had Dwayne Wade, you had LeBron James, right? So it's like at any given point, Mello, Dwight Howard, right? So if we're looking at the diversity of the decade and like all the different players to be where it's like, okay, from top to bottom, this is like what this had to offer. Uh, I would, I, I would say, uh, I think we actually have our answer. I think that, I, I think I would actually dump the nineties as, as crazy as that sounds, because like, the, just the homogeny of the Bulls and like the fact that they were able to, they won so convincingly right. and basically just destroyed every other team in their path that it wasn't even necessarily interesting. And then that the only game, you're basically saying that you're taking, you know, the shot. You're taking the shot over, you know, uh, anything else. Whereas like, okay, would you rather have that or would you rather have the 2010s which is like historically some of the best Super Bowls ever played in the 2010s. Also in the NBA, yeah, there was a dynasty, but there's also probably one of the all-time greatest moments with the block and like actually like defeating, you know, the team that won 73 games. And at the same time, you know, immediately thereafter, at least in my opinion, the team that followed, you know, with Durant going to the Warriors is the greatest basketball team ever assembled. Right. Like, like, I mean, other than, you know, the 92 USA team, that's it. Uh, what say you to all that? Yeah, I agree. Something that I that just kind of crossed my mind was, like, I, I'll touch back on this later, but to what you were saying, between the 90s and the 2010s, I agree with you. I So what you were saying, the homogeneity of the Bulls is right, and that what I think you can appreciate at least about the 2010s versus the 90s because you have some you have some similarities with the homogeny is that the rest of the league was still elevated and that on any given night um like on any given night that you could watch a football game in this day and age or a basketball game in this day and age there was a one star or there was somebody on every team who was so good that they could do something that you were like holy shit and i think which is something i was going to bring up to you which is like how do we judge this objectively while also acknowledging that the games have evolutionized over the years to be more entertaining. And so I was going to toss that back to you and say, is it fair for us? And the only caveat in this is that ironically, me and you are choosing to keep the eighties, which just goes to show how much the eighties was iconic. Even though if you watch eighties basketball versus watching today's basketball, like in terms of entertainment value, it's different, but it was so sentimental and so groundbreaking that me and you can both acknowledge as like sports enthusiasts, like you just don't get rid of that. But I think like if I was forcing you to watch somebody our age today to watch 90s basketball or 90s football versus, you know, Mahomes and, and Steph Curry and LeBron, it's like, how do you judge that objectively? Well, I mean, I, I think that objectively we are looking at it and saying that like the 90s, okay, I mean, it's it's easy to say that the 90s was just a terrible time for football and a terrible time for basketball. I mean, again, you know, this is Bulls notwithstanding, you know, the Bulls were doing some 
you know, very incredible things. But like, for the most part, you know, you have that. And then at the tail end of it, you have the Spurs going and winning in like a, a finals that literally no one remembers. Right. Uh, and it, then in the, in between that, you have these two finals where it, you have the Knicks against the Rockets that everyone forgets about because of the OJ trial. It's like just right. lost to history that this game seven lands on the OJ. Literally, if you watch, if you go back to broadcast of that in the corner, like how, if you're probably seeing this with, with a zoom or something like that, in the corner, they had like the they had the game in the corner, and they had the actual OJ thing like front and center, which was like almost unbelievable to be able to put into perspective. But I just think the '90s were like historically like a terrible time for sports. So I don't think that that's like I, I think that the better question would be that now that I've actually thought about it, I think that the 2010s is actually probably a lot better than what I had initially thought, especially with you phrasing right. it the way. Right, I agree. Um, I think you know the Super Bowls and the finals in the 2010s, the quality of players that we've seen in the 2010s um, in both sports. Uh, and, and and I want to quickly ask you before we get to back to that, who was the best NFL player of the 90s? Hmm. My first instinct is Dion. Um, okay. That's what I was going to say. Uh, and then I was going to say... Uh, Reggie White. Uh, Reggie White's a really good one. Um, that's that's I, the first one that came to my mind was Reggie White. I don't even think about Dion because I forgot he came on. When was he drafted? 88? So he came in in 89 and then pretty much played out his entire career right. like, through the... Uh, right. and so then I feel I like the answer is Dion for sure. I, um, I would say that the other considerations for... I would say that if we're doing like a top four to top five, it's Dion, it's Reggie White, it's Barry Sanders. Right. Uh, uh, and then I think, I mean, obviously people forget like how good of a career as a whole that Jerry Rice had, but like his 90s yeah. is like just as good as his 80s. This is good, like, I know, but it's hard for me like to disassociate him with the 80s, like winning. But you very well can easily make the case right. that even in the 90s, he was just as good. So that's the thing right. where it's like, um, and then Lawrence Taylor started to fall off. So I wouldn't say Lawrence Taylor. He's much more 80s. Yeah. yeah I associate so him I, with the eighties a lot more. I would say that the only, the only one other one. Who, I would Emmett? Throw on there is, no, I, I, that's, that's a longevity thing. And, and the same thing right. also is just like, yeah, I feel like it's hard to put any of the Cowboys players on there just because of the fact that it's just like, they're all like, so they're so intertwined. Right. That like, I don't know. There are people, and this is honestly interesting. Like, I would love to do like a retrospective and like, I don't know, do a deep dive and actually watch like old Cowboys games and be able to, like, with both of us taking a look at it and say, okay, who really was the most important of the trio? Right. You know? And I think that, you know, kind of just getting into this a little bit, um, people overlook the value of a quarterback so much that I would probably make the case it's probably Aikman, like, without even like watching any games yeah. or anything like that, just because of the fact that like we've seen teams with incredible skill position players just absolutely shit the bed as soon as their quarterback gets hurt right. or they have to do a backup or anything like that. And it's just not right. even, it just isn't even comparable. So I don't know. Um, but if we're looking at the nineties, if we're taking just one singular player, yeah, I think it's Dion. I mean, if you, if you just look at the way in which, you know, he is the, the, the reason why two teams won a Super Bowl and yeah. like went to, I mean, 
and you could say the same thing for Reggie White, where his addition to a team is what changed the fortune yeah. of the franchise. So I think it's also easy to look at Reggie White and Dion to say that because we have like such concrete evidence of being able to point to like, okay, this is like the, this guy went here, they won a Super Bowl. So, yeah. and I don't know if we're just looking at all time, Again, it's probably. I just think it's Dion. I, I, I mean, and I would probably die on that hill that it's Dion. I agree. No, um, I mean, I mean, after after you explain it, I don't think it's close. I think, I think Dion's a solid one, and I think Reggie White is a solid two. Like he's not even a one B. Like Dion deserves his own one, um, yeah. And Reggie White deserves his two, and then and then you can get into three through five. But, um, well, uh, like I said, if if Barry played all of it out and did all of it i think i think it's it's barry and and dion at 1a12 and if we're talking about talent i guess you could argue you know barry's up there for sure but barry did literally play all through the 90s yeah so i i hear what you're saying but it's like if we're just again if we're just asking ourselves take this take the 10-year period and right. like which 10-year period would we take over anybody um yeah i mean i i think the answer is you know, I think the answer is pretty clearly Dion. And again, Reggie White's close. Like, right. I mean, I but I think he's close, but he is still a two in right. my mind, just as you said. Um, I think that part of what we're getting at is, I think one of the things that makes sports so interesting is like kind of with what you were talking about with the 2010s and everything. It wasn't so much just the fact that like, especially when you look at the NBA, it wasn't just a matter of talent. It's the fact that, I don't know, it feels like a everybody had their own little personality right of like and same thing with the nfl of like you know you're getting like a little we're, we were finally starting to get the character back into the game you know what i mean right. and th that was like one of the products of like twitter and and everything like that to be where you know moments go viral more often so we feel like we know these people better and i don't know it, it, it's it's strange to look at like the 2010s to be where we're, we're now like you're it's a generation of people coming into it where social media was a part of their lives and everything and it's like it's almost democratized the game to be where it feels like these people while they're larger than life are so much more accessible than ever before like like take a take a guy like uh i i know this is more right now but a guy like donovan mitchell to be where mm. a guy like donovan mitchell is like a superstar in this league yet he feels somehow surprisingly accessible in a way that right. like if like if you were to like meet donovan mitchell on the street I feel like you could have a conversation with Donovan Mitchell. Whereas on the other hand, somebody like Kobe Bryant or LeBron, I, I feel like you, it's right. hard to even be, have a conversation with those people. And it's like, again, it's so much of sports is narrative and looking at it and basically saying like, okay, what, what is important to you? And I think part of the reason why the eighties, why that resonates with us so much is because those people were all larger than life. I mean, yeah, you that's have, so funny. You mentioned that because, because, and I think that, uh, you hit it on the head with the larger than life. Cause one of the things I think about the eighties is that kind of the kids and then the larger than life stars in every, I mean, I mean, you know, from Michael Jackson to um, all of these different eighties stars. Hold on. Try and redo that. If you can, I will, I will. Okay. So, Anyway, talking about larger than life, go ahead. One of the things that I think you said that was poignant about that is the whole larger than life comment, because I think when you look at the 80s, um, 
and you have this kind of, you know, it, it really was, and, and, and you get into that with the nineties and Michael Jordan, but it starts in the eighties and that like everybody had this like us and them, and we really created the superstar because I think if you look back at the seventies, there's still this kind of like, there's still this kind of thing where it's like, man, in the seventies, like half of these dudes who played in the NBA in the beginning of the seventies, like had fucking jobs when they weren't playing in the NBA. And like, they weren't at that point where between, I mean, in in the eighties was the, the king of, I mean, you started the endorsements and the commercials and like the seventies had that, but I think that's what really made the eighties special. And so when you look at these stars, um, and you look at magic and you look at bird and you look at Michael Jackson and you look at, you know, all the different 80s stars. Um, I think that's what makes it more, you start to get to that impersonable thing and it, and it created that, that larger than life persona. And I still look at these people, you know, like if I ran into Larry Bird today, I'm like, dude, you're fucking Larry Bird. And like, that's crazy. Um, and I don't know how much of that, I think that's changed a little bit today. And that because we have social media and something we have to remember too, and, and then I'll turn it back to you is like, the only thing that we got from these players was like their personas on TV and like in interviews and, and those kind of scenarios. Whereas like today with social media, like these people are constantly on Instagram live. They're constantly tweeting out what they're thinking and you feel more connected to them. And I think that's might've been what you were saying earlier um, is like how just we feel so much more connected to stars today because we can interact with them on social media as opposed to like that one opportunity you get maybe as he's autographing or you're at a meet and greet and it just feels, you know, like such a bigger weight. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's just strange in the fact that like, you know, the 80s was the height of commercialism and just like this something to be where of marketability where it, it felt this thing to be where, where it's like, the perfect blend of capitalism where these people are not selling themselves out, but at the same time, you, you see them in such a way to be where that, like you said, you're constantly seeing them in endorsements. You're constantly seeing them to be where it's like, you're seeing them always in this place where it isn't like a personal space. You don't know these people. You just know these, these images, these icons, these symbols that you're being shown, you know, by the media. And honestly, you know, I think that people today, like when you look at sports kind of longs for that, where it's like, there is such thing as too much. And there's such thing as something to be where, where it's like, I don't know, it doesn't, sports are complicated today. And I mean that in such a way to be where that sports are inevitably intertwined with, with personal struggles and that are now documented. They're, they're, they're intertwined with racial struggles, which I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it is something to be where that when you take a look at it, the level of escapism that existed in sports going back, you know, to the eighties, which is almost in a, in a league of its own to be where the sixties was even intertwined with something where you say that, okay, a lot of sports was intertwined with the civil rights movement. And that's right. something to be where that while that's very all those special, strikes and stuff like that. Exactly. While it's something that's also very special, it's also something to be where that like, I think for the most part, when people think about that era of sports, you almost think about those political moments more than you actually think about any of the games. I mean, obviously, you know, you have the Muhammad Ali sort of stuff and everything, but like, if anybody, like, tell me, like, you know, to the audience or whatever, and this is anybody that's even like an NBA fan or anything like that, just to put it into perspective, what's your favorite Bill Russell game? What's your favorite Jim Brown game? Okay, right? And it's like, okay, put that in perspective with like, what's your favorite Montana game? What's your favorite, you know, Lawrence Taylor game? 
despite most of the people probably that, that would have any care in this or anything like that, or, you know, that are probably around our age or anything, you probably have a favorite one of those games, despite not even ever even, yeah. you know, looking in that around. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the whole case in point with this is, is that, that it really is just like, I, I don't know. I don't know why that everyone just kind of universally acknowledges that era of just, it was the perfect amount of accessibility where like, you know, these people just enough to be able to get rivalries but you don't know enough. So it, yeah. it gets to this point to be where that the media has to sort of spin it. And it's beautiful because it, it, it makes the, the media craft narratives and be able to create something to be where that now there is no, there is no subtlety. There is no creation of a narrative when it comes to sports, because all you need to do is just go to that person's Twitter feed to find what the beef is. Yeah. And it's, just, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Because honestly, as I think about it, it's like, it is, I don't want to say that, that anything is like, I can say that right now that in the 2010s or now 2020 or 2020s moreover, that the quality of games across all sports is probably at the highest it's ever been. Like, right. and the level of parity is to the point to be where that like, it's almost unprecedented, but it feels like the flavor and the character of sports is somehow disappearing. Like it just doesn't, I don't know. How do you feel okay. about it? I don't know. I, I want to. I want to dive a little deeper into this one because, for me, it's interesting because. Hmm, I know. I hear with what you're saying, and that. This kind of like. Idolization of the stars has been reduced due to the fact that, like, instead of, you know, it. it this is going to sound stupid, but it's like it's like kind of like Santa Claus. It's like nobody's ever met Santa Claus and like nobody knows about Santa Claus, but we've just heard all these stories and we've just seen what we've seen. And so you have this image of Santa Claus in your head. Like, could you imagine if you just like met Santa Claus a bunch of times and all of a sudden you're like, all right, we're just fucking Santa Claus. So that sounds like a dumb example, but I'm, I'm just talking about in terms of like the way that you craft an image of somebody in your mind versus being forced to deal with the reality of somebody is powerful. Now I can see why people would argue that they, they like that in terms of like, from a star standpoint, like I've read, I've, I've watched a bunch of interviews, a bunch of interviews. Um, and I don't know which one I'm about to quote. Uh, so I apologize in advance, but, but it was this NFL player from either the nineties or maybe it was the early two thousands who said, it's not my job to be a role model for your kids. And it's not my job to, you know, sit here and and do everything perfectly because i never asked for that i was only asked to do is come in and play basketball but now with advertisements and the media and and fandom i'm now forced to be like this god to your children who look up to like more than their own father and so like now today it's like you know okay well i know who you know i know who all these players are but i'm not necessarily like looking up to these dudes as role models as much as i'm like admiring their you know, their gameplay or their character or their abilities to do things on and off the court, but they're not like these iconic figures. I think to me, that's a little healthier because I don't think I ever kind of thought that that was a good idea in the first place was to have these, these mega stars be the end all be all for their kids, like more than their own parents or the closer people in their life. And I think that was a problem in the eighties. Um, you always had this like stickler dad and it's like, Oh, why am I going to listen to my stupid stickler father when I can go 
listen to Michael Jordan or, or, or listen to Magic Johnson over here about like, but I just don't think that's how it should be. And so like part of me misses the nostalgia of that. And I think that's cool as a kid, but then like moving into adulthood, you're starting to realize like, well, maybe that's not actually like the best way to go about um, having these stars be such, so impactful in our personal lives. But what say that to you? What, what would, what, what's coming across your head? I don't know. I think that what we grew up in was probably the last generation of that where, right. you know, I just remember, you know, you had either Tom Brady, Peyton Manning or Brett Favre on TV all the time. And the thing is, is that, you know, and, and, you know, you're still kind of seeing this with Brady, but it's more tongue in cheek than anything like that right now. You know, uh, it's, it's like a joke and kind of just making fun of it. And I don't know. I just like when I was a kid, you know, the, the player that I loved, I love Peyton Manning. And I didn't really know anything about Peyton Manning other than like what the media narrative was that they crafted a Peyton Manning. And I don't know. I love that. I love the idea that like, I could just, you just, you just have a hero. You know what I mean? You just have yeah. this person that is just like this larger than life sort of persona or whatever. And I wasn't even a fan of the Colts. In fact, I didn't even really like the Colts. I just, I liked Peyton Manning and I wanted Peyton Manning to be successful because he seemed charming. He seemed like a good person. He seemed wholesome. You know, he seemed like all the, like just the all American sort of guy and everything that you like want to strive to be, you know what I mean? But I don't know right now it's just different. And I, I think that part of, again, I think this is just a flavor thing. And I think that what you're saying is, is like, you just, you don't really like the idea of it. Whereas like, I do like the idea of having like this, like super, superstar, like heroic sort of thing to be where that now, I don't know. I just don't think it exists to the same degree. And I think that you know, you, t you take a look at all the factors that are at play and I I'll wrap up in a quick, in a second is you look at social media and then you also look at uh, the, the various like fantasy games that people play. And it kind of just reduces these people instead of being heroes to just being a number and, or just being like whatever it is that they say on Twitter or something like that. It's like, I don't know. I feel like to a degree that because I feel like I know, like I truly know who these people are they're less interesting. What say you to that? Yeah, I think you're right. But I think something that I was about to say um, is that the concept kind of started with superheroes, right? As a kid, um, or these these figures that you have that are, you know, they're superheroes or they're something, but they're not real. And so the thing for me is like, I think that's cool when you have you know, somebody like a Captain America or a Superman or something like that as a kid, because you can read all the good things that they do, but you never get to experience the bad. And that kind of gets to keep that image in your brain, right? But, you know, let's say that you grew up and you were like the most diehard OJ fan. Like, and I'm saying that like as a joke, but I'm also saying that as like, forcing people to be your heroes also means that you have to come to grips with the reality that they're not perfect. And for us, it's like, you know, as a kid, you know, like, okay, you, you pointed out Peyton Manning and like, I would point out Tom Brady. Dude, these dudes just happen to be like perfect dudes. Like I couldn't, you can't find anything wrong with Peyton Manning if you tried. But like I said, if your hero was, you know, some of these guys who have been controversial, then it's like, okay, well, how do you know, you're, let's say you're a huge Barry Bonds fan. It's like, okay, well, what do you do now? And then you're just forced to like go through this thing. And I don't think one that it's fair on the athlete 
And then two, it's like, well, we never would have never had this problem if we had chosen heroes that, you know, you can control the narrative around this role model because you're not asking them to be perfect. You're creating them. You know, you're writing superhero books, you're writing these movies, you're, you're as false as it is, you know, that icon ship is supposed to be a little bit of false. It's supposed to be a little embellished, but you can't do that with a person because they're a person and they make mistakes and they have problems and, and that weight shouldn't be on people. But I understand with what you're saying, but I think I'm just acknowledging the other side of it, which is like, I think it started off as a superhero thing. And now we're trying to attach it to real people. And one, I don't think that works because we we can point to many scenarios where it doesn't pan out. And then two, I don't think putting the weight and responsibility on people who didn't ask for that is justified. I think it depends. I, I, I would say that there are some people that relish all aspects of it and are heir apparent to the throne where you take a person and the person that I'm thinking of right now, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is everything that Peyton Manning was, like right. to the same degree, yet more entertaining. Like, right. like as a player, he's more entertaining. Yet his off, you know, he's also gotten to the point to be where he's just larger than life, and also something to be where that like he really is perfect. He's got the wife, you know, he's going to get the kids or whatever. He goes around driving Ferraris and owning baseball teams, and like just the perfect like sort of like every like. Every kid wants to be Patrick Mahomes, and I don't right. blame him for wanting to be Patrick Mahomes because he's just a nice guy, and he's right. also really good at what he does. And I don't know. You look at things and saying like, "Oh, you know, we're forcing people to do this." I don't know. I think it just is, is par for the course that if you want to be a professional athlete in this sort of post-war society that we have, where you know our heroes used to be the people that would go out and fight for us, and now we don't have that anymore. They, our heroes are the people that we see on TV, you know, and we want to live vicariously through them. And I don't know. I think that, you know, being being somebody like Mahomes, the fact that he is also not just an incredible football player, but an incredible man is like, just there really is no, uh, there's no words to describe how important that is, not just for the league, but for everyone who's growing up. You know what I mean? Right. And it's also important for, Again, just the narrative aspect of things that like you, you see this also recently with like with what's going on with Lamar Jackson, where I don't know, the media is like starting to build up and has built up this narrative of like, OK, you know, we can't win. And it's something to be where, oh, he finally beats the Chiefs, you know, and this is like this really important moment. And NFL fans can understand like why this moment is important. And right. I don't know, Lamar is also like just if he's not the most well-spoken, he's also an incredibly, incredibly nice person like yeah. off the court or off the court, off the field. I mean, the way, if you watch him in interviews and the way he speaks, it is such a way to be where that like, it is so deferential and so polite. Like, yeah, he, he, it's almost just comforting. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he just feels like, I don't know, almost in a way it, like to a degree, it, it kind of reminds me of like Eli Manning or something where it's just yeah. like pokey and like, just really like, you know, but like, just country, you know, and, and but in a good way. And it's like, I, I, I don't know. The fact that also Lamar is another person to be where like he has a spotless record off the field is, I think all of these things are important. And I think it's just something to be where that like, if you want to play quarterback or if you want to be like one of these people in the NFL, I think it is something to be where that you, you should have to live up to the standard of, of having to be in front of, uh, of the media every single day and having to deal with that. I don't know. I mean, I hear what you're saying where the other side of it is like, take somebody like Antonio Brown, who was on the cover of Madden. And, you know, it's like, I mean, it seems pretty clear that, you know, he's going through some 
like sexual assault issues and whatnot that are like, I don't know, like, how do you navigate that for somebody that is like, you know, was growing up when like he was on the cover or, of or a Deshaun Watson, you know? Yeah. And that is another thing to be aware where it's like, how do you explain to somebody, to a kid who's like nine or 10 years old? And I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I think that there's, there's obviously people, idols that have fallen from grace and, you know, uh, whatnot. But I think that the people that the, you know, the true heroes of the sport at any given moment, uh, and again, we keep using that word heroes. I don't know. I, I think it, I think it makes the system work and, and, and makes it worth it when, especially in the NFL where, I don't know, you see these people, you don't see them in the same way that you see NBA players where they don't have helmets on. They're just basically wearing, you know, a shirt and some shorts, you know? And it's like, whereas like the, the NFL, it's so primal to a degree of like, they're putting on their suit of armor and it's like, you know, they're putting on these symbols of like, what is actually, you know, they're like, this is the, what they represent. You know, they don't just represent a city, but they represent, you know, the, like think about like what, with the Raiders or whatever, and like what that helmet and like what it means to be a Raider more than just being like Las Vegas or Oakland or anything like that. That team in and of itself has its own ethos. Same thing with the Steelers. The Steelers right. have their own ethos. It means something to be a Steeler, not just to be part of Pittsburgh, but to be a Steeler. And I think that the NFL has that to a degree that like where it is unlike any other sport possibly in the world, because the NBA is something to be where, where it's so transient now. Yeah. It's not team-based at all. It it doesn't like, there is no identity other than win, you know, and same thing with MLB. There's no identity other than win and same thing. and, And to a degree, soccer has a little bit of flavor just because of the fact that there's so many different formations and everything, but it isn't, it's nowhere to well, soccer same. is ironic that I think it's a little of both in that like some of the clubs remain top clubs because the team is so important and it's such a dynasty, but then it's also like a stars driven thing in that, you know, the, if the thing I like about soccer is that if there's no star, they'll still sell tickets because the city is so connected to the team mm-hmm. um, that the club is so in you know integrated in the city's fuck at the in their economic i mean you're talking about some of these smaller clubs like it brings in so much economy for the team but and then when there is a star player it's like fucking larger than the world i mean there's real madrid and then there's real madrid like with ronaldo and it's just like insane and so like the thing that i've always liked about soccer is like you know they're the club will always sell out but just the feeling of a club when they have a star player is like insane i think you know that's something that you don't really have you know per se in 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 the nfl or in the nba um especially not in the nba Uh, a little more in the nfl but still i mean the jaguars without anybody is like yikes you know i i hear with what you're saying but at the same time like when the Cowboys have somebody, it means something. Right. When, when the Steelers have somebody, it means something. And when the Raiders have somebody, it means something. These right. legacy franchises that like, I don't know, like I, I think you talked about it where it's like, you know, sort of like, a, uh, you know, the three corners or whatever, where you're talking about, like you have down South, like the Florida teams, like obviously like Miami. Right. And then you're talking about the East coast teams where, you know, just any of those, like, uh, of the East Coast sort of teams that are just the legacy sort of franchises. Right. And then you have the West Coast teams where it's like, you know, you have like San Francisco and everything like that. And then I don't know. I think that like when those teams are good and specific, 
Like the league is better. Right. I, I mean, it just is to a degree that I think it's kind of gone away from that a little bit because the NFL is focused more on product as opposed to teams as of late, which I think is a good thing. Um, but I do hear with what you're saying when it comes to soccer, where even as someone who is the most casual of fans, if not even a fan, just somebody who, you know, will every once in a while will just put on a game because it's on, right? You do see that to be where that it, it just, it's different. Because yeah. like you said, these people, these people live and die with their teams because it, it, it's something that they grew up with. Literally, it's not like you just yeah. pick your team. It's like you grew up with your team. Yeah. And when there's someone that's there, it's just that makes it special. It feels special because right. there's no wayward fans in soccer. Like right. you just, you are a Man City fan. You are a Man U fan. You're just, you are a Chelsea fan. And it's like, you live and die with those teams, which I think is something to be aware where it's like, that's so cool. Same thing even in Spain and then obviously in Germany and everything like that. I mean, it's just the degree to which like small town teams and stuff like that are so connected to like, I always, I always point to Dominic where Dominic is like a Nuremberg fan and he's like truly like right. a diehard Nuremberg fan. And I know he's from there and everything, but it's like, you know, despite growing up there, he very easily could have been a Munich fan. It's like, right. it, it's like an hour away. You know what I mean? Could have yeah. been, you know, you could be any of these like fans of any of these teams, but like, you know, the connection that that team makes with you at such an early age is like, I don't know, that's super, that's super cool to me as someone is just yeah. as an outsider. Yeah. Right. 